What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Yala. Your thrice weekly podcast where we talk about the hottest news with a touch of what, Terence? Good old humor. Good old yeah. humor, man. Back at it's it again. The, it's the second Monday of November, 7th November. And uh, hmm. broadly speaking, how was your weekend, Terence? Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. I think quite, pretty quite chill. Yeah. Quite chill. Quite yeah. chill. Uh, mine was so, just like wedding. Wait, sorry. Wedding. Okay, I just, no, no, you're going to say a bit more about your weekend, aside from the very general brief. No, I mean, the previous weekend, there was all the Halloween Itaewon mm. stuff and all. So just like, seemed like a very scary weekend, right? A lot of things, strange things mm. happening. But yeah, mm. so this weekend There's was more chill, chill, which is yeah, nice. I see, I see. Come, come, yeah, let's my, talk mine. about your wedding again. Let's talk about your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> These are the weekly, the weekly uh, mean, check-in sessions. Yeah, man. I mean, this this was one of those weekends where we were like, oh shit, we got we got quite a bit done for the wedding. Uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, so I'm happy about that. Uh, went to yeah. Little India with my mom and uh, my fiance. So, what do you have to go to Little India for? For regards to your wedding. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we went because I needed to get something for the for an Indian suit, part of an Indian mm. suit. Mm. Uh, mm. And then, what else? Mm. Uh, just some some other kind of like 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 ring bangles stuff and all. Mm. Um, mm. And then uh, for you or some, for for your fiance? For fiance, for fiance, for fiance. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was interesting. Like, little little India is really like a a, a trip, lah. Like. It's a trip. Mm. Mm, uh, mm. It was a trip and it was interesting and you really get transported to this different world and you go on Sundays and more. Uh, yeah. yeah so, so it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, with the mom and the fiancé. But yeah. But where are you at in terms of uh, enjoyment of this whole process uh, on a scale of 1 to um, 10? I would say after this weekend maybe like a 7. About a 7. A 7. Well, that's pretty yeah, high. Yeah. yeah. Because the yeah. things are slowly falling into place. Uh. Before that there was mm. like all this like fucking whirlwind of shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of the pro- areas of stress still come from people, uh, not the actual mm. event. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So, so that one slowly, I'm like, okay, I don't give a fuck anymore. Um, mm. Then everything else is falling in place. Ah, uh, that's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, not so, easy. I mean, it's, it's not. Yeah, not easy to to remain. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, jovial about the process. Uh. It starts to yeah. get very stressful as time as time passes. So yeah, at seven man. is actually still pretty high. Uh. Seven yeah. is still good. I'm quite, I'm quite surprised also, but uh, yeah, yeah. Like, see like maybe next Monday I'll be like fuck the shit, you know? Why? <laughs> we'll do, Why we'll do we that. Uh, we'll evil? do a one to ten. Why? Yeah, we'll do a one to ten <laughs> check-in review every week, at least once a week on on where things are at, like, How you feeling yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, 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 Sounds mm. good, man. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, got some but interesting that, topics today. Yeah. No, but before that, we still need want to plug, give a little plug for something, right? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And what's that? Um, and that is the the newsletter that is tracking the process of building our startup in public. And that startup is none other mm. than Folklory. Uh, mm. If you've been mm. listening, you've heard about it for a while. Uh, it's where we help turn your family stories into podcasts. But this newsletter um, is run by one of our teammates and it basically tracks or, or like we share learnings, ups and downs uh, as often as possible about this journey. Uh, mm. There are ups, mm. but there are also lots of downs. So, yeah. so, so far, people have been responding to it quite well. Uh, and yeah, if you could f- 
follow it, that would be great, especially because now that we're nearing Christmas, what's going to be happening, Terrence? Uh, yeah, we're definitely ramping up, uh, you know, uh, the service for Christmas because I think Folklory makes very, uh, a very unique, interesting gift for people. And mm. uh, I think for us, the big challenge is still trying to get it out there because it's still a very new concept to a lot of people. So that's mm. what we'll be, we'll be spending a lot of time on the next few weeks. Eh? Yeah. So if you haven't gotten your gifts yet for Christmas, don't worry. Okay. In the yeah. coming podcast, we'll be having some promotions and shit where you can get discounts and shit. So, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, you can still check out the website, folklory.com. F-O-L-K-L-O-R-Y. Yeah. Cool. That's right. All cool. right. Um, cool, cool, cool. Okay, so the first topic, um, mm. yes, the first topic was uh was was based on a survey that was dropped last Friday on fourth November, mm. yeah. uh, done by the Institute of Policy Studies in Singapore about the state of platform workers in Singapore. And this platform mm. workers thing is something new to me, like It's basically like food delivery workers, like, and private hire well, workers. What do you mean it's new to you? I never heard of the term platform workers before. Mm, I see. Have you? Got it. Uh, I think I've always thought of them as gig workers, but I can see why why you would call them platform workers rather than gig yeah. workers. Because uh. gig correct, workers correct, correct. could generally refer to any kind of freelancer, right? Whether, yeah, you know, even production or or even in e-commerce or whatever, you know, you work a gig. But platform workers, are, I think specifically, that points out that they work based on, uh, they work on particular platforms. Uh, and in this case, it's, the food delivery apps, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So there was a survey uh, of findings from a survey that was released by the IPS uh, last Friday. It's called Current Reality, Social Protection and Future Needs of Platform Food Delivery Workers in Singapore. Mm. So, mm. so it's quite an extensive survey. Um, yeah. And once again, can I just say, it took us fucking long to find the link. Yeah, yeah. It took us I, I, I so damn long. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in this case, I don't blame the mainstream media. It's I think it's the IPS themselves. They they made it really hard to find the link to the article, right? I mean the survey, right? And but, uh, I mean, kudos to nah. you for digging it up on their Facebook uh, of all places. <laughs> <That's>, uh, yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Basically, basically the IPS is like a boomer, la. You know, of yeah. all places to share the link to the survey, it's on your Facebook page. Yeah. Um, but I mean. I, I, I don't know whether it's IPS to blame or the media outlets because the media outlets would have written about the survey, right? Mm, Based on mm. the survey. So why not just put a link to the survey? Is it because they think people don't care? Uh, no, my guess is that they probably got a media release with just the executive summary of the survey and nothing more. Uh, and that's what's fed to them. And a lot of them probably mm. wouldn't even bother to access the full, the full study themselves. Lah, you know, unless they needed to verify something. So so no uh, point no point for them to put the link to the survey, you see. They already have all I mean, the key information in front of them. Oh, that's true. And I mean yeah. I'm guessing that the whole survey is like uh hundred and fifty-three pages. I'm mm, guessing if you're mm. a journalist tasked to write about this, yeah, yeah, sure you can deep dive. But how much time you yeah. have spend on this one article which is probably amongst many articles you need to write, la? Yeah, that's right. But holy so shit. Oh. Yeah, one thing also IPS, the website, like you have all these tabs about surveys and publications and all. Yeah. It's fucking hard to find it. Yeah, it's difficult, man. We had a, a yeah. rough time looking for it. Yeah. Yeah, but we found it, like, we found it. 153 pages. Yeah. Uh, yep. But yeah, so so when you saw the article, I mean the article's all quite quite uh 
uh, interesting, like 3.2% mm. of a thousand surveyed make more than 5,000 a month from food delivery in Singapore, but work mm. longer hours. Mm-hmm. Fewer than four in hundred food delivery riders earn more than five thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So when you saw those titles, what what came to mind? Huh? Uh, I think one interesting thing is when you read about the news coverage about this study. Uh, I think every news article about it is uh, they they choose to focus on different things. Uh. like there's no one big uh, you know that there's no one big statistic or what that that everyone has has jumped on. Like, I think mm. if you, I mean, even, okay lah, to, to say news, but it's a bit of a stretch, but even Goody Feet, for example, you know, I think if you read what they wrote about this this survey, they they actually, they actually has a slightly positive, bizarre, you know, bizarre twist of events. It has a slightly positive tone to it that, oh, if you <laughs> work hard on this, you could be one of the 4% that earns $5,000 a month, you know? Um, so it was just a, a bit, a bit stranger seeing, I mean, but it also tells you, I guess, um, how little information there is out there about, uh, about um, platform workers such that when all this information comes out, everyone just, there's so much of it is so new and interesting that everyone's just grabbing different aspects of it and, and making a meal out of it, you know? There's like, you know, wow. some of them focus, an article focus on a th- one third of food delivery workers need medical care. You know, Straits Times focuses on modest pay, long hours. Um, and then, yeah, and then, uh, there are a lot of different aspects of the survey that people are focused on that, but yeah, yeah, it just really tells you there's so little information about it that every time something like that comes out, it's just a whole barrage of information that makes it, uh, everyone's just passing through and trying to find something interesting about it. Yeah. And I mean, like I, I didn't read the Goody Feed article, um, Mm. (laughs) I applaud you for being that comprehensive, but I guess they kind of need to end on a positive note, right? They're goody mm, feet, dude. Mm, yeah. They're all about but finding the goody the goody in life. Okay, okay. Maybe not goody feet, but even mothership, right? You know, they they harp on three point two percent of one thousand two surveyed make more than five thousand dollars a month from from uh platform delivery, la, right? You know? Mm. So you could look at it as you could focus on wow, only three point two percent, or you could focus on the number, oh, they make more than five thousand dollars, you know. So, mm. so it, it's it so, kind of tells you that everyone's sort of like, okay, how do I, wh- what do we make of this information? We're not very sure. So let's just put it out there. Lah. Yeah. Yeah. So so some of the highlight, the the, the high level stats that, that stood out were, I mean, on that $5,000 monthly salary thing, um, I think, yeah, the, the for those few people who work like 10 to 12 hours a day, mm. uh, almost like six or seven days a week, then they could hit 5,000. Yeah. Um, but the median was um, was much lower, la, right? Mm, so, mm, so the things that stuck out were like, okay, there's um, there, there's there's that risk, uh, like a rest reward payoff. Like you work harder mm. because it's the hourly thing, you earn more, la. Yeah, um, yeah. Then there's also health and safety. Uh, mm. so I think a third have been involved in accidents that required uh medical attention. Yeah, which is quite yeah, a lot, right? right? Um, is, uh, then. There was talk about the social protection because right now CPF is not mandated. Um, mm. I think a significant proportion of them don't even contribute to CPF. Mm-hmm. So, so we can we can go into that as we come along. But what made you want to talk about this? Uh? uh, I think it's it's you know we we talk about this being in Singapore and we look at the numbers and you know oh this is this is what it's like in Singapore. But actually around the world, I think even the US 
just a few weeks ago, uh, the US President Biden, he he's thinking of taking steps to uh, to protect these platform workers uh, more and, and giving them um, more access to employment benefits and things like that. Uh, and that could really hit the bottom line of a lot of these uh, companies like uh, Uber, Lyft and all that in the US. Um, mm. You know, and, and we're in a, you know, we're still in the midst of a, a economic uh, downturn. Uh, there's a lot of news of layoffs and everything coming up. So it's, uh, you know, the whole world is grappling with this issue of platform workers in the gig economy. So this, this I think, is just one part of a larger global issue like, where we're still uh, all trying to, to deal, to, to understand this gig economy and how to make it work and how to make it a sustainable living for people working in it. Like. So mm. we're not unique in that sense. Also, you know, it's, I think it's an interesting thing now that we have hard data to look at about uh, what they're actually earning and how and the dangers that they have they face in their work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how about habits, you? Like, why, 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 do you why do you find this interesting? Um, Because, like, I think, okay, like, this is not the first survey that has been done in recent times. I think the IPS mm-hmm. has done quite a few. And even as early as the pandemic time, there was more talk of, like, either... The, the you know hawkers or food establishments getting screwed mm. by the platform or the workers yeah. themselves like. yeah. I think it was the golden age or maybe 2018 when you could hear people earning a shit ton of money from doing this delivery work right mm. so now I think reality has hit it's not it's not super new but this sort of data helps what what I found interesting is that like uh, I mean okay so I think it's easy to shit on the platforms right you know fuck mm, these platforms mm, you know like they're fucking over these workers you know but at the same time like I have definitely benefited from this segment of the workforce opening up. Confirm mm. 100%. Right? So, As in the, yeah. the, the, the convenience of food delivery. La. Yeah. The convenience. Yeah. And, and now you see like, like platforms also increasing the delivery fee. And mm. my first reaction mm. is like, what? Fucking $4 for delivery fee? Fuck this mm. shit, you know? Like, um, mm. and, but then the reality is, right, it's, it's, like, uh, I, I think maybe we've been living in a bubble these past few years and slowly yeah. everyone is coming to terms that if you want this sort of convenience, uh, which fast, like rewind maybe eight years ago to think that you can order food and have it delivered at your house in 30 minutes, only mm. probably pizza, la, right? Yeah. It's only pizza, yeah. right? Everything yeah. else. Th- then, so, so then it, it, for me, it's not so much black, black and white. Like if you want these, these platforms to protect them more and all, then we need to be okay with the price of the, the food going up. Yeah, um, yeah. But then the, the reality is like, um, I think I personally know some uh, close uh, individuals who worked as delivery riders or private mm. hire workers mm. and their life, right, is, is not easy. Oh, we did a video like where I was an Uber driver for 48 hours, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We have done it. Yep. it it's fucking tiring, you know? Mm, and, mm. And there's no career progression. And I think there is the, how you say that, the sell that, okay, the more you work, the the more you get in return, which is not the same you could say for a lot of like corporate jobs. Yeah. But there have been articles also talking about the poverty cycle that these, mm. these workers can get stuck in because there's no protection, there's no career progression and you spend so much time on it that you can't kind of upskill yourself or other shit. So I just thought it was an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. And I think that the big question, you raised the point about that as a consumer, we've all benefited from this as well, right? Mm. Um, and so so is it really right for us to be shitting on everything that they're doing? And and, and at the, in the same breath also, 
talking about uh, complaining about the higher prices of delivery as well. Uh. Um, mm. But on the flip side, also, if you are if you are a delivery rider, um, and there are benefits to this kind of work, like, right? The there is a bit of more flexibility in your day. Uh, I think there's a very interesting CNA interview with a delivery rider as well, who really talks about. Uh, he enjoys it also because he's just doing his thing. Like, you know, he's able to listen to music when doing his delivery. Nobody, he's got no boss to really answer to. He works as much as he wants or as much as he can during the day. Um, and, and, and that's the lifestyle he just wants at this present moment. Though. So mm. who are we to mandate that, oh, you know, you're not doing enough to protect yourself or to progress your career or to take care of yourself? Uh, I think that's the question we need to we need to grapple with as well as both consumers and also uh, as a society just looking at gig, the gig economy and deciding whether it's good enough is there are enough protections for the people working in it. La. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I know uh, as we're talking about this, there are uh, food delivery workers that listen to this podcast. Mm. Uh, many mm. of you have reached out to us. I think a couple of times at Hawker Centers, you all have said hi. So, mm. so, if you have any thoughts, if you think we are talking nonsense, you know, please, please give us your feedback on Instagram, on Reddit, because it's something that, yeah, like we have spoken about before, but like what mm. Darren said, it's a global thing that's only going to become more and more apparent. Um, yeah. But you, you know, just now you said something about, um, okay, some of them choose this lifestyle because they are in a position that it benefits them. But I think thinking about protection, one thing I found surprising was that, uh, there is also a, 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 a significant proportion enough that don't even know that the platforms they serve actually give mm. them protection. Mm, um, mm, mm. I think one stat, only 18% of uh, the respondents said they had attended training, uh, mm. which was about like getting another job. And about 30% didn't even know that the companies already have some protection for them. Yeah. They weren't even yeah. aware of the the how you say uh, the the benefits whatever little they can get mm, so mm. so but 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 it feels like because they are so maxed out with yep. their work right can you imagine working 10 hours a day and then just yeah. going back and if you have a family and all it's crazy yeah right? yeah yeah um so so yeah there's a lot to unpack like, but uh i i also think that we'll get to that but at the same time can we just respond to the Probably the biggest thing that most people probably would would harp on uh, is how much food delivery riders earn, uh, right? Mm. And um, just the infographic uh, is, and the numbers are basically um, just quickly reading off the infographics. About twenty four percent earn less than a thousand dollars a month. Mm. Um, about thirty four percent, that's the largest proportion of them, earn about one thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a month. Or $1,999 a month. Uh, about 13% earn from 2 to 3K a month. And uh, the remaining 29% earn $3,000 and above. Uh, mm. And I think the headline statistic was that what, only 3.2% earn $5,000 and up. Right? Mm-hmm. What do yeah. you think of these numbers? Uh? Do they surprise you? Um, no, they don't. They, they, they don't surprise me. Um. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I, I would say it don't surprise me. Do it surprise you? Uh, I think. Uh, the, the important thing to note that this is. Uh, this is. This represents the results of survey, but they, you you also you also need to take into account the fact that 
uh, they all work different hours as well, right? Mm, Some of them mm. work really, they only do it part-time. They only do like, you know, less than eight hours a week or, or eight hours a day. Uh, and some people, they can chung and, and go 12 to 16 hours even. And those are the ones who, you know, who are you know, making bigger numbers. Lah. But uh, so this is not like representative of like, uh, if you work, it's not a fair comparison to say that they work the same number of hours and this is this is how big, what a wide range it is. Lah. But uh, it tells you kind of like, as a as a gig worker, if you are sort of in the median, I think the median is like 1,900 or something like that. Mm. Uh, that that's what you can expect, lah. You know, if you work at, as like an average, almost like an average number of hours in all, lah. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's and, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's interesting. I think these numbers are interesting because a lot of what we've, or at least what the media and what the platforms have harped on in in recent years since the launch of the platforms is that the you know they always talk about the success stories, like Oh, this guy earns eight k a month from food delivery. This guy earns, you know, like 6K a month from food delivery. And then all those numbers sounded astronomical when they came out as articles. Lah. But it, that, I think based on this data, it tells you that those are actually the extreme cases. Lah. And most people are actually earning much less than that, lah, right? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so it tells you that, yeah, lah, that's, don't always, uh, you know, don't always extrapolate from what you read in the media to, okay, that's how all uh, food food delivery riders are and that's how much they're earning because I mean the numbers now are staring you in the face and telling you that's not true right yeah so so you're saying it's lower than you expected no I mean I expected it I expected it to be low but I think in, in I think in recent years the media has been harping a lot on these like one-off stories of of people earning $6,000 or $8,000 a month from food delivery and I always yeah. feel those are those are exaggerations of, of the what the average experience is for food delivery riders are yeah, and and I think also taking into context of Singapore, because I remember when Grab went uh, and listed the day of the IPO, one thing mm. that the CEO, Anthony Tan, did say or did point out, like a big part of the PR there was like, there are countries in Southeast Asia where this has really opened up a livelihood for people who weren't even earning anything. Mm. You know, in mm-hmm. Thailand, in Malaysia, in Indonesia. Um, and for that, I can imagine, like, you know, it's really like this whole, this fucking thing that was impossible. All you had a scooter, now you can earn. But in Singapore, the context is like, everything's getting more expensive. Um, mm. It's not like even housing expenses, interest rates, everything getting, is getting more expensive. So coming down from the, 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 the ex- exorbitant numbers from 2016, 2017, yeah, this is, this is a reality check. Lah, and it's important. And if you look at, I'm sure anyone who has ordered or seen people, there's a, there's sometimes you see there's a greater urgency amongst these delivery workers. Mm, you know, like they come yeah. immediately, put it, walk off, and mm. I won't deny that sometimes I'm like, oh, like, hey, chill, you know. Then I'm like, hey, fuck no, because every hour of their time is worth something. Then mm. you know, you look at mm. you look at them when they go past the red light. Yeah. My first thought is like, hey, come on, you want to be on the road, you respect the road. But if mm. it, then it becomes like, wow, they're putting their own health uh and safety uh, safety of others at risk because they uh they have this ticking clock la, which is damn scary. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's fucking yeah. scary. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so 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 it, it just feels like well this this is something that needs to be solved. I mean the good thing is there was a committee, like an advisory committee on platform workers that was formed last year. Mm. And the mm. whole goal there is to okay think of policies that can in some way protect them. La. 
yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I think yeah, this is a these are important small steps lah. Like this kind of data, this kind of information. Um, I think previously a lot of a lot of the information was anecdotal and probably uh a lot for lobbied by you know uh lobbied by a lot of these platforms themselves like right like you know articles yeah correct of of uh of the of the top delivery right? I mean the that's not representative of the population of writers as well like. so uh, uh you know obviously the incentive is to try and paint a very positive picture of everything because uh don't don't forget a lot at, at one point a lot of these platforms are literally fighting regulation right you know mm, fighting mm. Uh, a lot of regulation about what they they're allowed to do or not allowed to do uh in on the app and and on the roads and all that so uh, there's a lot of work that goes into trying to influence public opinion about these about these services and uh just be a bit skeptical every time they they just if it sounds too good to be true because usually it is yeah and i mean certain things that also are surprising is that uh now mm. there are so many workers uh, in this part of the workforce that you even see little, little cracks within. Like, for example, uh, mm. apparently there's a perception amongst the lower educated platform workers that the higher educated platform workers know all these tips and tricks and hacks and strategies. Lah. And mm. There, mm. Was, there was data to back it up. I think generally for the people who earn a bit more, they are better educated. So there's inequality yeah, amongst yeah. platform workers as itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but on the flip side, right. when when they were questioned about the future of like gig workers and all, um, I think about six in ten said they have no intention to change. And six mm. in ten also believe that the future of work is the, the gig economy. Mm. So yeah. so then it becomes tricky, right? Because it sounds like they're not really being forced into it. Like mm. uh, there is a significant people, a number of people who choose to be into it, but then when they're in it, oh, then it becomes tough to leave, lah. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I, I yeah, I think the 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 committee you're talking about, the there's uh, is an advisory committee set up by the Ministry of Manpower la, last year, mm. uh, and they're mm. looking at various measures, like for example, the Work Injury Compensation Act, whether that can be applied to food delivery workers. You know, to to provide them uh, financial protection when they are injured, la. So they yeah. are supposed to deliver recommendations by the end of this year to the government, and uh, you know that's where uh, everything that we're reading here in terms of these these figures and about, about workplace injuries and all will be important to them as they put forward these recommendations. But I did I did want to uh, ask you also, la, You you made an interesting point earlier about the. Uh, the context of Singapore, you know, the gig workers, you know, how much they earn versus the cost of living in Singapore compared to other countries. Um, I mm. mean, my my experience uh, after traveling, you know, after traveling in, I think earlier this year to Thailand, uh, was that, yeah. yeah, you know, the, the, these platforms actually, they make the, the process of, of engaging with the local economy, you know, F&B restaurants and all that and ordering the food and coming to places that, and being able to access food that I typically would not be able to access, let's say if I'm staying in a in a more Ulu part of town and all that, uh, it really made a huge difference. Because uh. uh, I hadn't traveled to to Thailand in years before, early, before earlier this year, because of COVID mm. and because of various things. So it was quite a shock to me, like um, how much as a consumer I valued having these platforms available to me uh, overseas compared to in Singapore, right? 
And mm-hmm. um, do you think that there's a there will be a very big difference between um, how Singaporeans view the gig economy versus how our neighbors in in other Southeast Asian countries view the gig economy? Like maybe there's a much more positive, um, uh, much more positive outlook about the the gig economy uh, elsewhere compared to Singapore. Yeah, I mean, I I actually think so. Mm. Uh, mm. I think so because okay, in Singapore as a consumer, generally mm. I think it's positive, lah, right? Uh, uh, but I would say more from the people. Yeah, I, okay. Uh, just broadly, I would say yeah. I think I think there would be more lah. Mm, mm. But you. So are we just be? Are we just? Are we just being like you know uh, first world problems ah? Uh? First, not not just first world problems, but also just being complaining kings lah uh, in Singapore. We want our cake and, and we want a cake and want to eat it as well lah. Like, you know. Uh, yeah. We we want the convenience of food delivery on that, but at the same time, you know, we want to make sure we want to complain that you know that our gig gig workers aren't being treated properly and everything. Dude, like half this podcast is complaining. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah, other half, we try is, and yeah. we try and back it up a bit, like We try and back it up a bit. So, but mm. but what what mm. about you? Do do you think there will be a more positive or negative response if you had to if you had to choose, like? Um. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak anecdotally from my own experience, lah. But I think one one important thing is that Singapore is, uh, yeah, is operating base for a company like Grab, right? Um. And uh, and and I, I think it's important that a, a lot of the the management, senior management, and and a lot of the important decisions are being made in Singapore, lah, right? Mm. So I think it is important that that we understand the local situation. And also in that case, also put, uh, not say put pressure, but also, uh, because the because the local exec- a lot of the management executives are based in Singapore, I think it's important that we, we you know, uh, look at the problems in Singapore and think about how these problems could potentially, uh, maybe not now, but in the future, apply to other other the other countries as well, right? Mm. So so it's uh I don't think we should just sit back and say oh you know we're just being complaining kings and queens in Singapore. I think if we are if we are privileged in that sense that we you know we we have a lot of uh, we have the uh, we are in a better economic position that we can think about these issues and all. Uh, then then we should um you know think about it as a, a responsibility that we have to everyone uh, to our neighbors as well, right? To, to think so, about these issues, uh, yeah. So savior complex, lah. Is essentially <laughs> no, not the savior complex. Is that they are here? The the these platforms, these these platforms are all operating out of Singapore. Their managements, the management uh, people are all living in Singapore. You know, they're buying GCBs in Singapore. So we also need to be ensure that you know that they're treating their employees or the people who work for them fairly as well, uh, right? And I think there are people who are platform workers in Singapore. So I, th- I think it's super mm. relevant. I don't think we're just being complaint kings. But one thing I will yeah. complain about is you never answer the damn question. You give this political That's speech right. or even the question like between Singapore and the, the other countries, do you think they'll be viewed more positively? Yeah, yeah. I, I No, so I, I definitely think so. I think even as a consumer in, in the country, in overseas, I, I feel like, oh, uh, it just it's really opened up the a lot more doors, like, right? In terms of, uh, mm. Engaging with the local economy, even as a yeah. tourist, like, right? So, so mm. I, I, when I was overseas, I, I saw it much more positively. I was like, oh wow, this is so much more convenient than it would have ever been if I had to, you know, like get a taxi, go out on the streets, and then go and buy my own food and all that kind of stuff, like. 
right? Mm. Whereas in Singapore, because of, you know, because we're much more familiar with the grounds, and and in Singapore it's just so small, so it's, it's much easier to access everything, like, Right? So you yeah. feel much less like you like okay, like, Fine, if I don't have if I don't have this food delivery services, it's a bit less convenient, but it's not that difficult to get go on and get things up. But but then when you think about other countries, like you. Sometimes some places not even that safe to walk out, walk around at night, lah, right? Mm. Uh, and you, you know, you have your family and all these things, and it's just you're going to have to walk along a dirt path to get somewhere, get get you know, get your regular fix of part time or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's just not worth the trouble, lah, and you just want to pay mm. a bit extra for for food delivery, and that makes a that's where the food delivery makes a much bigger leap in terms of of the benefit it brings the consumer, lah. But but then one thing I remembered just now after I gave my answer was that I know mm. in Bali when I went a few years ago yeah. within the seat like the Seminyak or Changu mm-hmm. you you cannot book Uber no oh, like it? because there were cases of like Uber drivers getting beaten up by the local local taxi drivers mm, uh, that I were see, from Bluebird or something like that so mm. so as much as I say there will be uh, generally positive reviews I think there will probably be more extreme negative. Uh, sentiments as well mm-hmm. because yeah. these kind of platforms will infringe on some local stuff so so right. yeah I guess I guess that's interesting uh, but one thing mm. one thing that did stick out to me is like um, you know looking at the demographic of responders right mm. uh, where broken down by marital status race and gender I mean yep. like uh, it was 84% male right mm. Mm. but I guess mm. no media outlet would probably Point that out, lah. Uh, that oh, uh, what about gender equality, bro? Oh, gender equality. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying it was yeah. something that stuck out, but um, and nowhere was that kind of like a, 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 a discussion. Like, I'm not saying it should be a discussion, but mm. I just thought it was an interesting little tidbit of uh, info, lah. But that's the, thing, that's the thing, right? It's it's self-selecting, right? You you kind of choose to be, to as an independent contractor to work with Grab or one of these platforms, right? Um, oh, so you say there's no like, interview process, lah. There's no yeah. There's no interview process. Like Grab or Food Panda, they can't say, "Oh, I, I need fifty percent, fifty percent representation of of women." And I only I only will, will allow that many men to apply, you know, to to work with us. So they mm, they can't do that, right? Self-selecting, yeah. The self-selecting, yeah, it's a self-selecting thing. So, uh, I wouldn't place the responsibility at the feet of these platforms yet, lah, because they are not they're not actually employing these people. They're independent contractors. So I would say also mm. like even if the statistic is there that is largely male, doesn't mean that uh, I don't think that's the most immediate fish that needs to be fried, that right? But Terrence, yeah. what if these platforms are not providing adequate support for females and women? Huh? What? What if Terrence? I mean, are they the question is are they providing adequate support for even the males as well? Like, you know, for anybody who works works, works with them, I think that's the yeah, big like, question. Yeah. 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 So it's not even about whether it's male or female, it's just like anybody who works with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Side with the patriarchy. Nice one, Terrence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, thank, thank you yeah. for thank you for your woke moment in terms of uh, yeah, yeah. just looking at a very innocent uh, statistic and then trying to make a story out of it. Thank yeah. you for the condescend- but, uh, <laughs> condescension, as always. Thank you for the condescension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully there'll be more, there'll be a, a bigger discussion about what can be done to help uh, gig workers. I think that yeah, like like what you said, the the statistics about accidents is pretty scary, lah. If one in three gig workers gets into uh, an accident that requires medical attention, 
uh, it, that's really not comparable to to any other workplace, uh, right? You know, even yeah, even construction yeah, site, all that also. Uh, they, you know, there are policies that that force companies to aim for for zero workplace accidents. Uh. So one in three is a pretty crazy, scary number, uh, right? Yeah, man, it is. It is. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean. Anyone listening who, I mean, like who, whether you are or you, you're not a platform worker, this sort of stuff, yeah, if you have real life experience, you know, please hit us up because um, mm. it really is quite interesting and it's something that didn't exist 10 years ago. Lah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't so, I mean, everyone is trying to grapple with it. Uh, no government yeah. has like, has, has definitively, you know, made, done the right thing and and, and made, uh, made the right decisions, all the so-called right decisions for everyone. Lah. So, uh, I think Singapore, we are trying to also grapple with it. So let's see where where this goes. Uh. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, grappling with something uh, very new as well, I think uh, over stateside in the States as well, uh, not even the States, around the world, uh, right? I think this weekend was a, a big shockwave for a lot of people at this one social media company. Uh, mm. And what is this shockwave about now? Uh? Um, it is the mass laying off uh, of Twitter employees uh, around mm. the world. Um, yeah. I, I think the company is like 7,500 people. They are laying off like 3,000 plus. Yeah. Um, and the I guess the thing that happened closer to us is that this weekend, Singapore Twitter employees also started getting like pink notices. Mm, um, that's right. Right. Over the uh, weekend, right? Yeah. Pretty shitty, yeah, over the weekend. Pretty shitty time. Yeah, over the weekend. And most recently on uh, Saturday, I think, Saturday night, Singapore time, uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder and ex-CEO of Twitter, uh, posted something on Twitter uh, that reads, folks at Twitter past and present are strong and resilient. They will always find way, a way no matter how difficult the moment. I realize many are angry with me. I owe the responsibility for why everyone is in this situation. I grew the company size too quickly. I apologize for that. Mm, so he posted mm. that basically apologizing for growing the company too fast mm, and mm. that caused a, a lot of news and I think that tweet itself has like uh, yeah, 113,000 likes 7,000 uh, replies 14,000 retweets but what made you want to talk about it? Huh? Um, I think uh, just as a follow up to the, when we spoke earlier about what Elon Musk has been doing. Because um, mm. I think it's quite interesting now that, well, you know, a Twitter co-founder and former CEO is now, you know, he's, I mean, he's not even involved that much in the day-to-day of, of Twitter anymore. But but he seems to have shouldered, wants to shoulder responsibility for for these layoffs happening. Uh, as, and almost like taking away the spotlight from Elon Musk. Uh. And, uh, you know, usually that, I mean, I'm, it's quite, it's kind of strange, right? You never, usually people, ex-CEOs or ex-management, they, they try to shy away from, from whatever drama the company is in, is involved in or embroiled in right now. But, uh, mm. but here we're seeing an ex-CEO actually coming forward and saying that, hey, this, these mess layoffs are my fault, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, you know, it was because of decisions I made during my time. That's why you guys are suffering now. Uh, not that it makes things any easier for people being laid off, but, but it kind of, um, I mean, it's just strange. Huh? I mean, this whole saga has been so strange. And this is just another chapter of the strangeness. The the strange, um, the curious case of Twitter, right? But why is it strange? 
like like what I mentioned, uh, like XCO taking responsibility for whatever is happening right now, uh, mm. as opposed to you know, uh, trying to push the blame to whoever's in charge now. I literally just answered oh. the question. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see, it's a refreshing. Listen. It's kind of a it's refreshing. Strange, yeah, fuck. yeah, yeah. It's refreshingly <laughs> strange, lah. You saying it's refreshingly yeah. strange? Yeah, yeah. So close so all the tabs a... and listen, listen, uh, listen, dude. Listen. <laughs> no, no, because you say strange, like what you're saying sounds like a breath of fresh air, right? But yours is like it's strange. Is it a breath of I fresh mean, air? You... That the... is, it, is it fresh air to the people who just got laid off? It's not, lah, right? It still sucks for them, regardless of who takes responsibility for it. True, uh, true. But it's just like, how do you, if you're the one who got laid off, like, how do you, what do you make of this, what this XCO is saying, like, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. But I mean, in that way, I, I wouldn't say it's a breath of fresh air, but you see so mm. many decisions made in the, the corporate world or uh, where, yeah, it, the big decision maker or people who play a part almost absolve themselves of, of mm. things that go wrong, like. Right. Yeah, we've we've um, been in that position before, like, right? Where of course we still big are. Company, yeah, ah. big company gets uh, dissolved, and 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 the current management all just like they wash their hands entirely of the whole decision process and pretend like like nothing like nothing was their fault, like, right? And they say we try our best, and yeah, everything that you're seeing is is not our fault, like, yeah. Yeah, and they continuously post on LinkedIn about their new jobs and how some of their jobs <laughs> involve finding new jobs for other people and how they are yeah. the saviors of mankind. But yeah. that's a that's for another day. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in this case, I guess why, yeah, you read it also is like, mm, I mean, he still kind of like uh, made like a few hundred million dollars from this, so mm-hmm. it just feels like okay, he takes responsibility. But what happens? It's not say like a crime, you yeah. know. You admit and then you get the penalty, lah. Yeah, yeah. In this case, and, he and apologized I mean, for that. Yeah. The the other, I guess, the other strange thing is also. That he seems to be in complete agreement that that Twitter seems to be over overstaffed or something like right. Mm. Um, I mean, when as the boss, when you were approving all this, all the hiring of the staff and growing the company, all that, weren't weren't you? I mean, I'm sure he had a, a big vision, big plans, and all, and that's why you mm. would you would hire that many staff. <laughs> but to so quickly turn around and say that oh yeah la, I, I fucked up la, you know I I grew the company too quickly and all that. Um, we don't even know what Elon Musk, what's in Elon Musk's mind right now, right, about the, the future plans for Twitter. So it's kind of strange as, you know, within a few days of, of laying off everyone, then suddenly he's like agreeing and saying that, yeah, like, this is the best, this is what the company should be, needs to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what, I mean, yeah, like, it, like, like what you said, like, this whole thing is, is strange. I mean, we've seen big tech companies go and like get and acquire other companies yeah, and, mm. and comes with its own fair share of drama. Then you see like Microsoft acquire Skype uh, and eBay and it's always like this mother big company acquiring smaller big uh, smaller companies. But then this mm. one is almost like, it's just, it seems very, like the individuals behind it are too big. Mm. I think that... That's what's weird. Like when you hear Microsoft acquire Skype, okay, it's Microsoft and Skype. Sure, Bill Gates at that point was the CEO and founder, but mm. it's Microsoft. Mm. Well, Twitter is like, in terms of the, the relevance, Twitter is like on the same level as Elon Musk and Jack. Like as a as a term, as an entity, as an individual. So it really does feel like it's a bunch of people and their personal struggles uh, around mm. this thing called Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that's that's yeah, that's the thing. All of them they are being um 
I guess we never had CEOs or senior management that are so honest before, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Not honest <laughs> about their mistakes, but also honest about how they feel about things and and honest about their, their biases and everything. So it's just weird for everyone watching to be like, huh? What, what, are you trying, what are you trying to say about the company? Like, what do you mean grow too fast? Like, that, mean, that means you, 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 you had two grand ambitions or and you think Elon Musk is taking the right direction or you think that the previous orders, you know, your, 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 your successor uh, fucked up or something like that. I don't, I don't know. It's just like, you kind of read between the lines of what they're trying to do and try to figure out what, what the whole platform is trying to do. Lah. Yeah. No, but so, I mean, what you say, like, maybe it's just such a shock to the system for CEOs of corporate to be, like, honest. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a thing, like, what the fuck is going on, man? Yeah. Um, but also, I think in this day and age, these kind of things are a lot more public, like, because apparently, mm. when Ap- Steve Jobs went back to Apple after he got rehired, he also mm. laid off, like, a few thousand people. Mm. Um. Mm. But you don't really hear about that. And I can imagine any company when there's a huge-ass change of leadership, there won't mm. be shit like this. Like, it just so happens Twitter is, first of all, a very public company. Uh, yeah. The individuals involved are huge public personalities. So, mm. so mm. everything is like, is like, you know, it's like, you know, when, when like Oxy, Oxley, that whole saga was happening, mm. it's like, mm. guys, like, this seemed like a internal squabble, but it's made yeah. public lah. I and guess the ethos case, of the yeah. the ethos of Twitter is is meant to be the public town square for the digital age. Oh, yeah, right? true lah, true. So you would, as the leader of the of Twitter, you would want to exemplify that as well by being very open and honest about uh yeah where where you fucked up as well or where you think you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe maybe it's also because you know like they they live in a different stratosphere of society like mm. you know the billionaire society. I mean, yeah. on this podcast, yeah, I share about my wedding. And you share mm. about your personal stuff, but it's like okay lah. Uh, yeah. But at that level, they're doing the same thing. It's just that it is it is just broadcasted to millions and millions of people lah. Mm, mm-hmm. But but mm. yeah, I I think also maybe playing into um Jack Dorsey's uh personality as well lah, Right. He's he's always been he's always been caricatured as like the the new age tech CEO lah, Right. The, you know, the silent retreats and, and the various very uh, hippie things that he does. Um, I think like even when, when Elon Musk first announced the acquisition, uh, even Jack Dorsey was, was saying that, uh, he said quite funny things like, I trust Elon Musk's mission to extend the light of consciousness. You know, words mm. like that. So it's just like, I, I guess, yeah, it just plays into his personality as well that, that he's so open, or at least he appears to be open and appears to be very... Uh, like he sees a larger mission behind what Elon Musk is doing as well at this at this point, uh, right? Yeah, and I mean, for all we know, for all we know, maybe he's recruiting all the people who have been laid off on Twitter to start something new. Yeah, yeah, that's his right. ploy. Yeah, yeah that's his ploy. Like this yeah. is the call to action. Like you read between the lines, he's apologetic and he's like, "Fuck you, man! I'm on yeah, your yeah, side. Yeah. Come work for me on this new ass thing that I'm building." Yeah, I think yeah, we uh, he, he and he did tweet. Uh, previously that you know, Twitter is the as a company has always been my sole issue and my biggest regret it has been owned by Wall Street and the ad model taking it back from Wall Street is the correct first step so mm-hmm. it kind of tells you, you know, he kind of regrets the business model that Twitter is, is, is involved in now uh, in, in terms of you know showing ads and, and needing to, to needing to answer to Wall Street more than anyone else uh. 
So um, mm. he 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 seems to think that Elon Musk has a larger mission, uh, or is, is pursuing a larger mission at hand. So uh, mm. yeah, that's maybe that's why he's coming forward so much. But do you think? Have you ever seen anything else like this, similar to this in in recent memory? In terms this of like, meaning like the CEO publicly apologizing or his whole Twitter shitstorm? The CEO of a large company, you know, apologizing for mistakes that they've made in the past and everything uh, that, that brought them to where they are today and all. Uh. Sounds familiar, but I can't think of anyone. Yeah, I mean, I really can't think of any. Can think of YouTubers, lah. Can think of YouTubers who have apologized. Oh, yeah, lah, for, for doing and stupid cry things. And then cry and all that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and then cry. But ultimately, it makes them bigger, lah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or they have some, there's always some ulterior motive to it, lah, right? You know, they need to restore their, uh, their subscribers. They need to, uh, yeah, they need to get their subscribers back on track or restore their subscriber base and all. Then they apologize and do all these, take all these remedial steps, lah, right? That's why last time I told you, Terrence, we just get, get in fight, get into a fight in public and then, mm. like, you will be apologize. labeled as the racist uh, majority. <laughs> and then I will be hurt uh, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. You post an yeah. apology. Dude, we will confirm yeah. appear on all the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk confirm. about extending the light of consciousness to yeah. my, my minority friends and everything. <laughs> yeah. Then after that, you will, like, have to just... Like then, then all the background about how you are so ingrained in the Indian community will come out, mm. and then people will debate whether you're actually a racist or a bigot. Um, and mm. then yeah, light will be shone on the fact that you are not. But imagine yeah. the publicity. I'm not. I'm not. From that. I've I've finished like two seasons of Indian matchmaking. I know. Already. Like, I know. How I can you not be a? How <laughs> can you be, be a racist? Bigot? Yeah, you can't be. I racist. can't be racist. <laughs> I love Indian matchmaking. It can't be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, How can exactly. it be? You think a racist will watch Indian matchmaking front to end? No, no yeah. such thing. Dude, then after that, we do a limited podcast series about your whole yeah. journey about the thing. Yeah, why mm. the fuck are we asking people to refer uh, our podcast to other people because in case they like it? No. Yeah. We just get into a public fist fight and dude, yeah. that'll be the best marketing we can ever do. No? Yeah, yeah. That's true. Public fist um, fight. Yeah. Let people take yeah, videos yeah. and all that. Yeah. But um, just going back to Twitter for a while. I mean, <laughs> Dude, I'm, in, that I'm imagining that already. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. You, yeah, Ken, um, please go on. I think uh, a lot of the Singapore Singapore employees got, got laid off over the weekend, like, right? Mm. Um, I, I think there's this, there's also a view that maybe, um, I, I think in Singapore, it's a lot of them are uh, sales and, and the business side of things. Like they're, they're more employed in the business side of things. And mm. since... There seems to be some regret about uh the business the ad business model that Twitter has. Uh, I think you you would expect that the Singapore team would be very very uh yeah would be a lot there will be a lot of firings like, right yeah on the Singapore correct, side right. of things. Uh, yeah. plus the fact that Singapore is uh you know I Twitter is not the biggest thing in Singapore either. It's I think uh, the office here I mean, probably operates as a as a base for all of all of uh, Asia mm. or Southeast Asia at least. So uh, yeah, Singapore's not a huge important market for Twitter either. Lah. Yeah. Um. So but, I'm not super surprised if the whole Singapore office gets bludgeoned by the end of yeah. this exercise. Uh. But I will say this: like now, even before, if I mean, of, uh, if I had to, like, let's say for whatever reason, I'm I'm told hmm. okay, you can work at any one of the tech companies. I think I would yeah. choose Twitter. No? Really? Why? Yeah. Uh? Because Twitter, I mean, every other tech company feels like there's so much 
they all are almost, they're very different, but they're almost the same. Mm. You know, mm. they're almost the same. Twitter is the one that is a bit quirky, a bit eccentric. Um, and you never hear about, oh, the Twitter office being so awesome. You know, Google yeah. is like fucking beating their drums every day. Facebook mm. is like, yeah, all this funky shit. Snapchat's not in Singapore. YouTube, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, whereas Twitter always has always been interesting and now it's even more interesting. So, yeah, yeah it's just, yeah, for a while it was kind of dying, right? But then now, yeah. as a social media platform, it's probably getting the most traction, most publicity, publicity. Uh, across all, right? Yeah. But but don't forget that, uh, Twitter, you know, that, that as much as the, the company is going through its restructuring and maybe it's a brighter future ahead, uh, these these layoffs do affect human beings. Yes, uh, I think there's tweets from ex-employees, you know, coming forward saying they really enjoyed the time off. But there are also tweets from ex-employees who said that they were literally, for example, like eight months pregnant, nine months pregnant mm. and about to give birth and they're not sure what happens to them now. Now they're getting laid off. Do they get, uh, you know, the, the maternity uh, benefits and everything? Like what, what happens to them, you know? So, so it's, um, yeah, watching these billionaires just uh, do their thing. It's kind of scary when you think about the number of people that uh, whose lives are affected by the these decisions they make, la, right? Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, la, the same for the Singapore team as well. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, stories that we'll hear. Um, and um, I think there's even people are even looking to whether the legality of a lot of these layoffs, la, right? Yeah. Uh, so whether in the US or Singapore or what, so. Yeah, as the story unfolds, it's it's just going to get stranger and stranger, I think. But I think that's a good point you brought up because I think it's so easy to look at uh, Twitter and the employees saying like, oh, but you're probably earning very well already. You're probably mm. earning above mm. average. Yeah. So okay lah. But then yeah. in the example that you gave where you're eight months pregnant, you're about to deliver a baby, or even mm. if you were depending on Twitter's health insurance policies to cover you, suddenly you don't have that. Mm. Uh, yeah lah, it's fucking scary lah. Yeah, it's fucking and, scary. And if you think that the tech workers, oh, okay, you fire from one tech firm, you just join another. Uh, I think it's just a few hours ago, or in the last day as well, that Meta is also planning Axing, to right? do yeah. large scale layoffs as well. Uh. So yeah, you know, it's not that easy to just jump to any other tech firm just like that either. Uh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. tough times. Yeah, right? tough times. But but yeah, don't worry too much about Jack Dorsey. Like, I mean, yeah, like, he's living in regret, but he's living quite comfortably, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. But cool. yeah. Cool, man. You uh, have uh, one short comment as well to add on. Uh, the one short comment, um, I guess, is for the first time in a long time where someone on our Reddit community kind of posted uh, suggested topics. Mm. So kudos to Internet Lurker 96 who posted like even in a format potential Yalabat topic one serious topic potential mm. Yalabat topic two uh goofy or serious topic yeah um, yeah and I mean we did consider one of them uh, as a potentially goofy topic about <laughs> Mister Singapore with the flag with the scribbles all over but yeah. we it, it, it didn't come through la. and then mm. the other ones Richard mm. Branson so so yeah so I just appreciate people like uh putting down stuff there for us to talk about. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. What about you, man? Uh, I think my one short comments actually are from our TikTok because uh, we post our uh, short videos on TikTok as well. Short videos mm. of extracts of this and uh, it, it was actually uh, the post about about paying for 
for Twitter verification. So mm. I think a lot of um, we're getting a lot of interesting comments as well uh, from people, and it kind of makes me realize that yeah, that. Uh, there are people who really are only on TikTok and they are watching our videos and mm. uh, they have, it's a quite a different opinion from what people on Reddit and, and all are saying. Uh, you know, TikTok mm. short form video and, and, and you get people making much shorter comments but uh, emotionally charged as well. So, so, so what, was, yeah. what was the comment? Uh? Like, uh... I don't know. A lot of people are saying like, you know, uh, paying for verification is totally fair. If not, how will Twitter make money? Uh, you know, there's at least two comments saying that the company also need to make money, right? And then smiley face and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm still trying to understand TikTok and the user base and all these things, and uh, and just seeing that our videos are being fed to, you know, thousands of people as well. Uh, but I don't know who these people are because we don't have that many followers on TikTok yet, you know. Mm-hmm. But the videos are being fed and people are responding and commenting and all. So yeah, it tells you that yeah, it's quite it's. The user base of TikTok definitely is quite different from our, our subreddit and all that, right? Mm, correct. Yeah. Correct, correct. So, interesting. But cool, yes. man. And then what is your one shock thing uh, this past week or weekend? Uh, my one shock thing is, um, it's, okay, so you know the onion, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. So, so the onion, recently there was a, a case of this guy from Cleveland, I think, I think, mm. it, in the US who uh, I think a few years ago just started a mock police uh, page of his hometown mm, police mm. force to kind of mm. poke fun at the hometown police force. Mm-hmm. So they had the same logo, same Facebook name, but no blue tick. La. And I think okay. he did like six posts and then okay. slowly it kind of escalated into like, okay, he, the local police got a few calls and then they called him and they told him to take it down. Then he then he put another post and took it down. So it escalated, then did a, a house search, a house warrant and all that. But the most recent thing is that um, there's this, there's a, that you, as an entity, you can file like support for someone being tried in the US. Um, mm, mm. And like they filed a brief like, and it was filed by The Onion. And okay. I, I heard about it because I saw Legal Eagle, which is a very popular YouTube channel focused on like legalities uh, mm, or legal mm. issues in pop culture. He went through the brief and essentially, I mean, it's still like, it's a legit brief. Uh, it's a legit mm. legal document that was filed. But why it's interesting is because, you know, the Onion writes parody articles that are, that could sound, that sound real, right? This yeah. is a real brief that was written, but there's a huge satirical uh, um, element to it. La. But the whole premise mm. is that people should be allowed to parody governments as a form of like protest or as a form or as a form of free free speech. La. So when mm. this guy goes through the brief, there are actually segments where the onion writes in very legalese words kind, okay, we are halfway through the report and it is this at this point where the reader is likely to feel fatigued. So yeah. and then they make a few jokes in legalese language and then they point out mm. why it's important that things be allowed to be parodied because blah 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 blah. So mm. I just thought, wow, shit, the onion, like they were big at one point. I thought they were dead, but to do this and take on the establishment or take on the system, it's always nice. Like, it's always nice. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, mm. so I guess my one show thing is maybe the video by the legal eagle that explains this, mm. which is interesting to watch. Mm. Yes. So, so it's, it's a video that you can, you can look up on YouTube, right? Yeah, I can, I can. The greatest. What, what do people filed. search to find it? Uh, the greatest brief 
ever filed B-R-I-E-F by Legal yeah. Eagle. Got it, got it. Yeah, man. The greatest brief ever filed. Uh, yeah. Cool. What about you? Um, mine's a Netflix show from, actually, it's not really new, like, it's a couple of years back, 2020, but it's called The Business of Drugs. Um, and it's quite interesting because I think the host was an ex-CIA operative uh, who now is, yeah, she's, she wrote a book about, uh, about, yeah, the, I think she wrote a book about business of drugs and now she's hosting, she hosted this show that's about the economics of the international narcotics trade. Uh, mm. And I have a couple of episodes in, but I think in the last, since, you know, we've been spending so much time talking about Richard Branson and the death penalty and the debate with Shamugam and the business of, 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 of drugs in Singapore and all that, uh, right? Uh, I, I think this was quite an interesting watch because it, it really goes goes deep into how uh, drug production, drug distribution, um, the whole network around the world, the dark web and everything, how that all operates around the world, right? So mm. typically you watch shows, they only, they've really focused on the hotspots like Colombia, Mexico and all these things. But this one really talks about um, the drug dealers on the ground uh, and, and how they make a, how to make a living out of it. So not unlike, not unlike the survey that we were just talking about, the, the food delivery Riders, they mm. break down the earnings and all that. This one, they break down the individual earnings for, say, for example, people who who sell synthetic cannabis and things like that. Oh. So it's, um, you really understand on the ground, like, why do people take the risk of selling drugs when they can, you know, go to prison and everything. And, 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 and when you understand the economics of it, then you realize, like, why the risk is worth it for each of them. Yeah. Oh. But so, do they so interview it's, it's actual people? They interview actual, yeah, actual people. people. So they're wearing ski masks, their voices, their voices are masked. But they show you like, for example, you know, if you spend like $2,500 buying, uh, buying spice, which is the synthetic cannabis, right? Mm. How you can end up making 300, 400% based on that, that sale. And then where they buy it from, you know, where, where on the dark web they go to buy this stuff and all. Uh, so yeah, it's not, it's not teaching people to go and be drug dealers, but just understanding like why people take these risks and, and, um, what, what's, what's the financial upside for them? That, that makes them want to take that risk. Uh. That's quite interesting to me. So your recreational viewing is either like the Bake Off <laughs> yeah. or this kind of shit. That's uh, what I mean. There's a similar uh, one. When you say when you say the Bake Off, you know, there's a lot of baking going on as well. In, oh, in that, that's true. In, that's in true. drug dealers' homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Indian so matchmaking also. Like, stuff. Indian that's your concoction, yeah, yeah. yeah, concoction of like recreational TV watching. That's like a perfect, a perfect uh, weekend for me. Uh, you, know? <laughs> <Weekend>. <laughs> you binge Indian matchmaking, business of drugs, and the big off bake all together. The big off, yeah, yeah. that's right. Power but yeah, if you if you if you've ever wanted to understand how the you know drugs work, even on the ground and all that, like for these dealers and all, then yeah, this is a is a good video to watch. Uh. Sweet man. Yeah. Cool. cool. I guess that's the end of our first podcast of the week. Uh, and talk to you all soon.